Excuse me, everyone, I have a brief announcement to make. Jesus was black, Ronald Reagan was the devil, and the government is lying about 9-11. Thank you for your time, and good night. Having that dream where you made the white people riot, weren't you? But I was telling the truth. How many times have I told you you better not even dream about telling white folk the truth? You understand me? Shoot. Making white people riot. You better learn how to lie like me. I'm going to find me a white man and lie to him right now. I am the stone that the builder refused. I am the visual, the inspiration that made ladies sing the blues. I'm the spark that makes your idea bright. The same spark that lights the dark so that you can know your left from your right. I am the ballad in your box, the bullet in the gun, the inner glow that lets you know to call your brother son. The story that just begun, the promise of what's to come. And I'm going to remain a soldier till the war is won. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, uh, today, we're, we're joined by two members of From the Heart PNW, uh, Pacific Northwest. And uh, I'm going to let you both introduce yourselves however you want to introduce yourself and, uh, and also sort of your organization's primary goals. Sure. You want, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um... I am like the chairwoman and the community liaison really is my role. Um, what was the other part? What's your name? Oh, my name is Lindsay. Sorry. <laughs> um, my name is Lindsay. Uh, and what was the other part of the question? Um, the question was, uh, I don't know what, the, what was the question? What was the second half yeah. of the question? Your introduction. Um, so, so introducing yourself, uh, however you want to introduce yourself, and uh, your organization's primary goals. Oh, um, our organization's primary goals is to reach people's basic needs in the encampments with dignity and respect. Um, we believe in quality over quantity, so we just want to do something and do it really good. Um, and right now, that's the sack lunch program, the clothing distribution, and the harm reduction uh, basic needs being met, basically. Our survival programs. Yeah, it's like a survival program. And so awesome. uh, that's the community development side of what we do. Um, and then I'm Red, and I am the, uh, I'm the chief of staff for the Community Relief Corps which is the um, overarching like support, uh, support program for uh, a lot of programs all over the North and Seattle. And so we basically do logistics uh, for all these different groups so that they can do their community development. We don't do any like direct support to encampments. We support organizers and give them the tools they need to continue doing their jobs well. Um, whether that's money or training or uh, personnel or materials or space or whatever, that's what we uh, put ourselves towards. But we, but we also, but we also uh, do uh, a lot of community defense training. 
uh, we do, uh, what is it called, um, an, am an ammunition collective so that we can get um, marginalized people training ammunition. Um, there's all kinds of things that CRC does. That's all, it's all really material related um, is what we do. That's, I thought we were talking about from the heart. Yeah, we are. We are. Um, and, uh, and so that's our two different sort of things. And so I fit into uh, from the heart as like a support person. And that's all our folks do is the support part of from the heart. And then, and then uh, Lindsay here leads our, uh, the active community development part of what we do. So Lindsay's down uh, in the campments, serving the people, uh, talking to folks, getting to know them. And then I'm in the back end, getting money, getting materials and uh, getting people prepared for whatever the next step is gonna be. Uh, uh, trying to get ahead of Lindsay and get ahead of her work. So gotcha. that's kind of what we do. Gotcha. That makes sense. Uh, front end, back end. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, front house, back yeah. house, kind of. Gotcha. Yeah, not thank you both. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say thank you both, uh, Lindsay and Red, for joining us. Uh, go ahead, Lindsay. What were we going to say? Because you, you like it's a lot of people can't do both. Um, nor should they have to do both because that's when you burn out, right? Like we did that a long time, just us two. Um, and, but that was when we were like working class too, you know, we we're working full time. Uh, we did an event only once a month. And then when COVID hit, I immediately quit my job and just transitioned into the sack lunch program basically. So it's really difficult though. Like some people are just fit better for out on the field because they're more extroverted. They can talk to people a little bit more. Um, and some people are just better being able to work from home, you know, make the connections that way and, and be accessible that way so that we can bring it together and basically fill each other's needs. Uh, cause it takes, it's being on the field is really difficult and extremely traumatic so you have to have a team that's prepared to do that. And then on the back end, you're constantly working. So you have to be able to be constantly working to acquire the material needs that we need to, to make sure that the program continues. Because it just gets, it fluctuates, you know, it just gets bigger. We'll probably have to add 10 extra lunches soon. Yeah. Um, and so we decided, we, yeah, we decided early on that it's not fair to have somebody out in the field getting all that secondary trauma um, from people's very, very, uh, horrible primary trauma, um, out on the streets and to do all that, to put all that, take all that risk and then have to come back from the field and figure out where their supplies are coming from and where their funding is coming from. And so that's kind of what led us to break it into this like dual role sort of scenario where we have the front end folks and we have the back end folks, um, because it just, it was, it was just, Cannabis, not COVID. It, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's just too much. You know, it's too much to go out and shoulder the burden of people uh, and their suffering and then come back and have to also, you know, wrangle up personnel, wrangle up materials. Yeah. For $400 for four services, basically. Yeah, and just have to wrangle up all the money and, and all that stuff to make these services go. And so early on, we, based on like all the work we've done previously, we realized that like if we really wanted the people to be in this long term, uh, there has to be people that do the work and there has to be people, you know, there basically has to be first line, second line, third line people. Um, and, uh, and so we break our work up into those various sort of lines so that everybody can do what comes naturally to them 
or what they're capable or what they're capable of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't yeah. ever want people to overextend themselves because I'm a habitual overworker and I, but I'm capable of doing that because I'm able-bodied. Right. And I can, I can somewhat handle it. I mean, it still gets to me from time to time. And sometimes I got to take a break or I don't want to go, but I still do it. Um, because I, we should predecess this with, we were working within this neighborhood specifically for seven years prior to ever starting the program from the heart PNW. Oh, yeah, yeah, we were yeah. doing a once a month free meal, free movie, like new movies and haircuts. Um, but we were only doing that event once a month because we were both working full time. Um, but it was extremely successful and we were really connected to the community already when COVID happened. So it was like an easy pivot. Yeah. And we just started literally with a backpack of new socks and some bottled water and like five bucks, like five, five dollar bills. Um, and we just started talking to people who were like hanging out at bus stops or hanging out at Concrete Park. Um, Which is our like local. That's our service space. Um, and it developed you know, these folks are my friends, you know, I know their families, you know, I talk to their families and shit. Like, uh, this isn't just something that happened overnight. It took seven years of literally just walking around. Cause we, I was working class. So I was taking public transit. You're still, you're still working class. I, well, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> it's just different now. Cause I don't, you know, I don't have a clock in, you know, I don't clock in. No one signs my checks, you know, which is great. But, um, I was taking public transit. So I was always in between places for like 20 minutes, you know, just seeing folks who just needed a smile and a cigarette and a bottle of water. Um, and it developed, you know, uh, those friends, they're my friends, you know, they're not just the unsheltered people that live in the encampment. I consider them friends and family and they feel the same way. But that's seven years, almost eight years of forging relationships. Yeah. So when we were working full time, you know, we were just running... <clears throat> these little programs, these little offshoot programs, like on our way to the bus to go do a 12 hour shift or on our way home in the middle of the night on the bus, you know, you stop and, 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 and build these little relationships five, 10 minutes at a time. Um, but when I got laid off, uh, and her job became untenable, um, safety wise, um, we just pivoted right into doing this full time and sort of fundraising for ourselves and the community at the same time. And, uh, cause I mean, we had to stay inside, um, and the community needed help. And so we just immediately transitioned right into doing full-time work. And it just made sense, um, because we had already been doing, we had already been establishing those connections. Um, and that's what makes it different than just like, sure. That's just what makes it different than, uh, red charity. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not out here just uh dropping shit off and walking away back to our two bedroom apartments or whatever we're not uh uh we're not just setting up a table with a newspaper and sitting there and staring at at a homeless encampment hoping they'll come over and talk to us like we've seen other uh parties locally do um not going to call them out but you know and uh <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but it's socialist. Not, yeah, it's not. It's not effective. Socialist. It's not effective. <laughs> and, and so um, that's why we. Sorry, what say it. 
<laughs> Please. You're driving me crazy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Chairwoman hates when I say um. I hate it. Um. <laughs> and you just said it. Right away. Right away. Sorry, this is 11 years in the making, so. <laughs> 11 years in the making. Jesus Christ. Oh. And so it's, it's it's not it's not it's actually solidarity. It's, it's not solidarity. charity. I don't it's really I don't go out there and proselytize my po- my political. Uh, I have a zero tolerance policy for bigotry, but I don't ever go out there like proselytizing and like talking about politics because they don't have time. Really, that's all. Really, I mean, I do have those conversations, but they have to come up organically. Uh, yeah, we do first because, things first. Yeah, we you know we take care of whatever, and we take music. You know, we take chairs, we, you know, we take cigarettes, Dwayne gives out cigarettes. So it's uh, more just like, you know, a picnic or something instead of like us being like, here's some pamphlets and then just dipping. Um, Which is the worst. It is. We don't like the charity aspect. I've been out there for a year. I've been out there for a year and no one has come to me. Nobody wants to talk policy with a hurt leg. No one wants to talk about political policy with, with a hungry empty, belly. With a hungry That's belly. ridiculous. Or, or thirsty or, water. Or anxious and, and worried about where their, where their next materials are going to come from. Yeah. They don't even want to have those conversations. They don't have time. Until their needs are met. Yeah. Um, and we haven't even gotten to the point yet where we're meeting their needs enough to even be having those conversations you know, we, I mean, I do have those conversations a lot because I do encounter bigots on a regular basis. Oh. So when that happens, that happens, you know, they are confronted with my politics because I'm very, I use my privilege as a fucking white lady to scream at fucking creepos. Uh, in their culture, the encampments have zero tolerance for creepos as well. So that's like one of the only cultures that I've ever seen where they're immediately like, no, you need to get the fuck out of here. Um, and that's basically what I say to people. I'm like, nope, get the fuck out of here and move along uh, while handing them a lunch and a pair of socks. You know, and then if it comes to like violent threats or anything like that, I have zero tolerance for that. So I have had many people come back to me and we've had a conversation and there have been behavioral changes and I'll service them again. But until they recognize that shit, because I mean, everything is heinous. You know, the homophobia is heinous. The transphobia is heinous. Uh, People not being able to use proper uh, gender pronouns is difficult. You know, we have some people who are older than us who have, you know, grew up in a completely different misogynistic environment than we did. So it's, uh, it's a learning process. Yeah. We like to, we like to, uh, we like to look at behavior. Um, and, and we don't, we don't enforce like a strict politics. Uh, and I don't think we know anybody that really does. Um, that's not really effective, but we do, uh, make our politics show in the way that the, we hold space. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like when we build our, our little space down on the street corner, um, that is a zone where our politics, we hold our politics up. Um, and it's not like this. We don't say X, Y, Z. This is our beliefs. We stand up materially for those beliefs when it's necessary. We don't. Yeah, because have- I've, I've encountered all kinds of shit. The N word, people uh, threatening to shoot people. It's really bad. Uh, because a lot of people are in crisis. But when we do take up space like that, there are certain people, especially women in the community, that will literally just come and sit with us during that service because they know no one's going to fuck with them. It's not possible. Um, Or like my gay 
a male ally, or I should say accomplice out there who's saved 20 people from overdoses, who's like my medic on the ground, who lives in the encampment. Um, he knows that when he comes to us as a gay person, he can just be a, he could just be his authentic self. And so they'll just hang out because we hold that space. And it's really nice to know that we give people solace for just that even short amount of time. Cause there are lots of women, queer folks, uh, black and brown folks that are constantly in danger, like, and in trauma and people like constantly fuck with them all day long. Not, not just house people. I, I mean, not just unhoused people. It's the house people too, that really harass them and are violent to them. Heinous. Right. Um, so, like the, so when the, we have that space, yeah. we can hold that space. Yeah. Just maybe nine or 12 hours a week, you know, but because they they do just come and they'll sit down and like we'll smoke cigarettes six feet apart we'll have a conversation we'll have a little dance party um eat some pizza have some ice cream i always go get the crew coffee every single shift i always buy all the volunteers coffee uh because it's fueled by coffee and cannabis (laughs) cigarettes and cigarettes (laughs) (laughs) that's it totally that's what i do every morning uh but uh yeah so it's uh it's really a, um, we're in this for the long haul. We have 20, 25 years worth of plans into this. We're not, this is not, we're not out here trying to accomplish, um, socialism in five years. You know, we're not trying to do that. We're out here, um, trying to build a hyper local movement that assesses honestly the needs of the people in our neighborhood and builds these really, um, bespoke systems that, that, um, reach those fine grain needs and the, our ability to reach these like finer grain needs increases like every week and every month. Um, whether it's like clothing, you know, once a week now, um, you know, it's just, it seems like every few months we add something new and incredible and meet a finer and finer level of needs. Um, and that's, once we get people to a certain level, that's when we can all start to make a collective politic together. You know, it's first things first, you know, people have to, their mind has to be settled. Uh, it's they, moving in that direction. It is. It, it is. is. I, I it do is. with my conversations with people on the ground and in the encampments, it's definitely moving more towards, they're already a collective culture, right? It's just different than any collective culture that's out there. And every encampment is different. And we should talk about the year, this golden year they've had under COVID actually, yeah, they've never actually in Seattle had the opportunity to actually have an encampment in a neighborhood. There was only like two locations that were kind of like free encampment zones in Seattle, but they swept those semi-frequently. They're gone now. They're gone now. They're yeah. gone now. Um, using the same excuses that they used to take uh, Albert Davis Park, which is our service park, which we right. call library. We yeah, call that just, library park. Yeah, they um, just attacked one of our parks the other day and it was brutal. It was bad. Um, but my point being is that these folks have been sleeping in doorways and on curbsides and in parks without tents or sleeping bags or tarps or permanent things to cook with. Like that's never happened before because Seattle has a no sit, no lie law. Um, they also have a 72 hour parking law. So RVs can't stay placed in a, in a certain place for a certain amount of time. So this is the first time, this is the first time in a ever that this year has been people collectively in encampments living together. And making a community with house people for the first time as a collective. Yes. Oh. There's other house people who do help 
Um, but they're not consistent and like disciplined like we are, but they are out there. They uh-huh. are contributing good stuff too. It's just, it's not, that's not what they do full time. Right. Cause they got families and jobs and shit. So they, yeah. they've had, they have come. I always remind them that they have done and accomplished quite a bit for basically being a big dysfunctional family and having to be forced to live together for the last year. Like they've actually made quite a few accomplishments and have done far better than anyone who lives inside ever would. So (laughs) yeah, they've, uh, they've really put together a really robust, strong community down there in just a year. Um, And it, there's certain dudes that clean up. There are certain people who help deescalate. There's medics. There's uh, people who help support with mental health. There's all kinds of different folks down there. They've they've created their own community. And this is the first opportunity they've had. And they've just done really outstanding in the very short amount of time that it's happened. It's been just brilliant to be able to support them week after week after week. And it's been like a real privilege to watch our community come together. And I also still on my time off, go down there just to like smoke weed and smoke cigarettes. Oh, that's, yeah. Uh, I do go socialize because these folks were my friends that I only had an event for once a month. But when I would see them on the streets, that's what we would do, right? Like that's, we'd Mm -hmm. stand at the bus stop and smoke some weed and hang out, right? And um, so I do go down there on my days off by myself and just socialize like a regular fucking human. And that I think I have to remind folks a lot that I'm not an organization. I'm not a nonprofit. I don't have a 501c3. Like I'm I mean, literally, we are an organization. But I know, but like I'm that. literally not an NGO or whatever. I'm literally just your neighbor who actually gives a fuck about your well-being and I'll meet you where you're at. You know, and I, I'm not going to fucking judge you for what the fuck is going on because this shit sucks. And it brings up a point that I tell people a lot about what the chairwoman and our whole team, our street relief team d- does down there. Um, they do, our programming is just like the tip of the iceberg. Those 12 hours that we do like programming a week is almost nothing. Like they, it's, it's just the, the hours between those programs where we're down there walking through the neighborhood and we say hi to somebody, stop and have a chat, uh, catch up, uh, uh, maybe hand them something, give them some cash or whatever, give them a cigarette and then go about our day on a day to day, week to week basis. Um, that's really the important stuff. Um, That's why we emphasize so heavily to organize exactly where you live. Um, We don't, we ask organizers actually, like if someone's 90 minutes away, we say, don't bother coming out. Um, You shouldn't drive 90 minutes to organize your neighborhood. You should walk out your door. They're going to come to volunteer orientation though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Trainings, but we ask people, we don't ask people to come and, and, and stand on a corner that they don't live on. Basically. Um, a lot of my volunteers live in the area, right, right here. Like they're my, actually my neighbors. And I also do the same correspondent with my neighbors who live inside. Um, and I, uh, mayor blocker makes baked goods for us every month or every fucking Saturday. And then her niece and nephew make our PB&J sandwiches. And these are people who live inside who don't have to do this. But because we've, like, been great neighbors and talked to each other, because I do the same thing with my neighbors who live on my block inside, too. Like, I'm not – 
I expect people to, who live inside to behave in the same way as I expect myself and people who live outside, which is just not be a bigot, basically. Because um, that's my only barrier for the program. The only thing I ask for the participants is that re- they respect our program and respect my volunteers. That's all I fucking ask for anyone who lives inside or outside or wherever. But it's it's a fine line to tread because it's it's it is dangerous. Like it is you do compromise your safety greatly every time you're out there. Right. So yeah, we just had a guy, we had to fucking call some fucking colonializer out this last time on uh what day is it today? Wednesday, Sunday. Sunday, some guy was trying to do to white guy ally, my volunteer, and he was like, Why the fuck are you guys helping these people? You're encouraging this. And Dwayne was like, oh, shit. And I heard that. And I just went around and I said, what the fuck did you say? And he's like, da, 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 da. And I said, get the fuck out of here, you fucking colonizer. Get the fuck out of here. Move along. And then he challenged me to a mutual state combat. Yeah, in Washington, <laughs> in Washington State, we have a mutual combat law where you can... But uh, do you, don't have, you have to have a police officer yeah. oversee it? <laughs> yeah, that fucking idiot. Wait. So is he going to call the cops and be like, hey, I need you to oversee this mutual hand-to-hand combat that I'm about to get into with this five-foot-two woman? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very confused right now. There's a, there's a law in Washington that you can fist fight somebody under the, the supervision of a cop. Literally, literally. Yes, you only have to have the supervision of one police officer. And when someone falls down, the fight has to be over. That's a real thing. And so oh he challenged God. he challenged me to that as he's walking away, and I was like, "Bring it on, motherfucker!" And then, <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, but that's just like. That's basic stuff. You know, like I've had, dude, I've had dudes threaten to shoot me down there. So stab you, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. They don't like me because I'm like, no, no. Some guy calls you a terrorist or whatever. What was that? A fucking. Oh, yeah. He called me a domestic terrorist. <laughs> yeah. He did. Because I was like, fuck dudes, you know, because I was like, no, dudes get whatever they want. No, I he was harassing, he was harassing David. Oh, and you were like, "Fuck off, racist!" And he was like, "You're a domestic terrorist, or whatever. <laughs> you feminazi." Yeah, yeah, so like that. Like that, yeah. And anyway, um, yeah. So it's it's. Uh, so that's why we need both too. You know, that's why we need the front and the back too, because we need someone who's worried about community defense. Because I've just always been this way, and I don't worry about it. Um, but my team worries about me. Yeah, and my safety a lot. Yeah. And we work really hard to make sure you're okay and i always i'm always the buffer for our medic team as well like i'm very hyper aware that our medics will be targeted uh by something anything at any point so i have to be the overwatch for them at the same time while someone else is basically making sure that i'm safe Um, i think we've we've gotten off topic but uh, <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? No, we're good. We're good. <laughs> this is fascinating. No, like really, um, the perspectives you were both sharing, specifically about like um, uh, politic as practice and breaking away from the sort of asinine theory of of politic that uh, um, that we also see from similar organizations to the ones you're describing down here. <laughs> um, yeah that, that I think the these and and also I think this idea of the the split front end back end um just as as you were talking about is something that um that really piqued my interest in just how how we built ourselves is 
Um, we've we've considered that, but I think uh, this is it definitely prompted a conversation. I think we're going to need to have collectively. Uh, I I would work. love to talk more about that if you guys want to talk more about that. Um, the sort of division of labor that we undergo and whatnot, and kind of the theory around that. That's, yeah, I love please. talking about that. So if that's something you guys I got my white dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got my white dudes, which are rich per capita, no more white dudes. And I've got my queer team. And I'm like in between them both, basically. Okay, so <laughs> this is how it goes. Like <laughs> basically, um there's two practice, there's two things at hand here, right? Like there's uh <laughs> a- <laughs> <laughs> it's our practical need for materials, supplies, et cetera, et cetera. Like we talked about before the, the, the basic mm-hmm. just fundamentals is not enough time and energy in the day for someone who's doing, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't go online all day and raise buddy after I've like literally just pulled a machete out of someone's hand. Like I can't do that. Right. And so oh, yeah, I feel that for sure. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Between like that, beyond that division of labor, there's also like a second layer to it. And um, we actively try to promote non-white people, right? And non-cis people, um, non-hetero people <laughs> to positions of leadership. Um, not in the liberal way, uh, but in the, um, if we have a qualified person that is not a cis white dude, we try to promote them ahead. Um, but we, while recognizing the fact that most of the people we live around and work around are white cis people right so we have to find a way for them to be involved these folks all these vast numbers of people to be involved even though we know them as a me myself included as a vector for violence right i'm a cis white guy so i am whether i I, whether i'm embodying this or not my class of people is a is a high risk vector for violence against non-white people non-cis people you know, non, uh, you know, everybody that's not me basically. Um, and so, right. but we still have to, so we, we have things that need to be done and we have people that want to do them and they're not necessarily the ideal people that we would like to have in leadership, but we still have to do something with them. Right. And there's still things that need to be done that are practical. And so we build these two channels where we can still, the people that are not just simply never going to be suitable for leadership like myself, um, can be useful. And so that's what kind of what the CRC is for. Yeah. I don't talk to them. Uh, I kind of make this big pool of volunteers of, and, 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 and specialized folks who do these different tasks, but are just not ever, we're, they're never going to get promoted to leadership like myself. I'm as, I'm as high in our, in our leadership as I'll ever possibly go, um, uh, for the rest of my life. Uh, and for the rest of my life, I'll just be, um, giving what skills I can uh, to people that don't look like me and aren't treated like me um, so that they can move past me up into leadership status. Um, so I, it's my job to do a lot of skill sharing and facilitating and material gathering. And then not just doing those things, but also training myself to be uh, not needed anymore, to give all those skills away actively. Um, right. And so we have this like core of volunteers full of people who, you know, they're great people, whatever. Um, but we're, at, but they're just, they're not suitable to move ahead. 
And so, I got, man, I, let me tell you though, I got a lot of women who fucking back our shit up. That's right. A lot of women, a lot of queer women, a lot of non-binary women, a lot of fucking gay <laughs> ladies. <laughs> And every woman, but anyway, uh, there, yes, there is. I mean, they're if that's what they want to be, that's sure. what they are. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I, I know that my cohort hates it when I say the femme witch crew, but that's kind of what it is. So it's we, and also sometimes it's safer for other people to be behind the scenes just because of who they are. You know, like, I don't want them out there being abused and being harmed because we're trying to fucking feed people. Like, that sucks, Mm -hmm. you know? So I have some people who just come and volunteer, like, once a month. Yep. You know? And so we have, like, these concentric rings of of people that are involved in certain ways. You know, all the way from, like, a volunteer to something a little bit more serious to sort of, like, an internal cadre and then, like, uh, sort of like a sort of like a non-commissioned officer in the military, which is what I am. I'm not quite a leadership, but I'm not quite rank and file either. Um, and then we sort of have our leadership at the center, right? And uh, it's sort of like this graduated process where we just sort of filter out white dudes, frankly. Um, and, we take, and, we, we, and, we, and we build them into this sort of core that's very useful and helpful, um, but doesn't have that ability to actively harm the inner circles of our, of our work. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I we, just can't do it anymore. We just give them a lot of work to do and keep them busy, um, being beneficial to the movement. Um, but don't give them access to our inner circle where they can, you know, abuse and, 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 and take over and talk over and, and whatnot and whatnots mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And so that's sort of what I'm responsible for is sort of this, like, reform labor movement <laughs> does that mean if that makes sense like um part of my but job you need to talk to some of your troops well i know that well, no shit uh and you need to talk to some of your troops. <laughs> no shit uh, they're fucking up right now um uh uh but uh that's sort of my job is to uh mentor these 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 folks and try to no more rich kids no more white dudes <laughs> Um, that's, I, that's my stance on this. But yeah, that's, so that's sort of we we have this. It's 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 yeah. It's kind of like a bullseye sort of concentric circle of involvement, um, and it gives us a chance to uh, watch people at work and um, over a long period of time look at people's ability to uh, cohabitate with others, to co-work with others, to uh, cooperate with others. Um, and we can sort of begin to pick out the, the ones sort of rise to the top and are like really committed that are ones that are just showing up every day for the fight. And we can, we can elevate them and, and take those skills and share those skills or share those that's abilities. That's just now happening. And after, that's, yeah, after, after all these years. Year, after, well, after a full year on the ground here. Yeah. But like after, honestly, like close to 10 years of mutual work, um, we're finally starting to get to the point where we're getting above, like our seed is broken and it's above the surface of the soil we're finally germinated and yeah because we're going to do a volunteer orientation on may 28th that's right so we're going to try to weed out the white dudes and rich kids i think we're going to play the queer cards against humanity and see what happens (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but uh uh, and that's when we'll like because i i scare the shit out of people i scare the living fucking bejesus out of people because i yell at people really loud um, and so I have to check with my volunteers that I'm not like triggering any trauma or I'm not like 
just I'm making sure that I'm filling their needs as a team. And the team that I have on the ground right now is like, no, you do you. It works. It's effective. Accountability immediately is extremely effective in my experience. The longer you wait on it, the more resentment builds and then you can't deal with it. But the Pacific Northwest is a really weird, fucked up place. It's very privileged. It's very entitled. People here don't know how good it is that they have it compared to the rest of the fucking country because I'm not from here. So it's it's a really weird fucking place to live. It's weird. It's, I don't know. But yeah, that's some insight into... Don't let anyone tell you it's an anarchist jurisdiction because it's not. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. Whatever uh, those memes you saw on Instagram or Twitter, that is all fucking bullshit. So it's one of the most segregated tax fucking difference like the the poor tax the highest here um there's so much monopolization in the cannabis industry it's really like everybody says that seattle's progressive and it is not well this place is a garbage hole it is a um, garbage fire <laughs> it's like but, the illusion uh, of liberal progressivism right wherever that touches down yeah, yeah. it's neoliberal colonialism is what this shit is there we you go know? I mean, my neighborhood is actively being gentrified, like actively right now. Like, oh, yeah. it's awful. 600 new units in the last three months went up in our neighborhood. Yeah, it's like garbage. And this is like the last working class because we're kind of a, a little bit northeast of downtown Seattle. I mean, nothing is far in Seattle. These people don't know what driving far is. Because um, I grew up in Southern California and you had to drive 30 minutes on the fucking highway just to get to the other side of town. So they don't know. They don't know what it's like. Here, you know, I mean, fuck. So you get to Tacoma in a half hour or whatever. You know, like it's uh, it, it, a lot of people don't understand that it is actually really nice here. They really take it for granted. Yeah. Like when people complain to me about petty crime, like car break ins or fucking theft from Fred Meyer, I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck you. No, no, no. Shut up. <laughs> like, you don't even know. You don't even know. You know, because I grew up in South Central California and I'm what I'm from Detroit. So it's yeah, the people here are fucked up. It's a weird place. They complain about the encampments in the garbage. Their biggest complaint is the garbage. That's really their biggest complaint aesthetic. is the garbage. All right. What's next on the list here? Uh, so, yeah. So, like, I think we hit a couple of the things that we really wanted to touch on. Yeah. Um, but uh what i you know like from what i think i think this was you read you were tweet you were putting this out on twitter Mm -hmm. um talking about uh gardener and community defender so like how do you envision and and this is for for both of you because i'm I'm guessing this is informing organizational building things like that how do you envision building uh those systems like what is the role of gardener uh or community defender um in in building these things do you mean literally because when i'm on on twitter talking about gardening i'm not talking about gardening right no i know you're not (laughs) (laughs) i mean i mean i mean literally literally and metaphorically how about both uh well i mean right off the bat food sovereignty of course is a key uh revolutionary need right like there's no question about it uh uh, it is it is one of those primary needs uh, for a revolutionary movement. It's not even a, a, a necessary but incomplete 
it is, that is like a necessary, um, there's no question about it that, uh, food independence is going to be, uh, a growing, uh, anxiety in our movement, uh, that needs to be addressed. Um, uh, it, it just, there's no question about that. It's just plain, it's plain to see for us. Uh, and we are, uh, we have some food sovereignty stuff on the back burner, but it's slow going, uh, just because it requires a skill set and trucks and money and, and the stuff we don't have quite have yet. It's not, that's not really where we organize, but as far as metaphorically speaking, um, when I'm talking about gardening, uh, I'm talking about my my personal philosophy of uh, how I find benefit for my particular skill set in the in the community. So uh, I'm a Taoist, and so a lot of my political, a lot of my organizing stuff is really informed by my Taoist uh, my Taoist studies, mm -hmm. and we really like to conserve energy. And uh, one of the ways that I conserve energy is by not trying to make things anything they aren't and make people things that they aren't. Um, I expect trees to do tree things. I expect watermelon vines to do watermelon vine things. I expect um, lupine flowers to do lupine flower things. Uh, it would be nonsense to get mad at a lupine for not growing watermelons or uh, a tree for not growing lupine flowers because that's not what a tree does. Um, uh, and so as far as like organizing my part of this effort, uh, what I do is like I was saying earlier, I get a large pool of volunteers and I get them moving on things that maybe aren't mission critical. Um, but give me a chance to observe them in the wild, so to speak, and see how they interact in the garden and see what their sort of flavor is, what kind of soil they prefer with the, the sort of water they like, how much sun they like. Does that it's, these are all metaphors, but like, it's all about learning. I try to learn, what people's themes are and what their motivations are. And like, what do you naturally do when you get out of bed? Like, what's, what do you think about? What do you, what are you driven towards? And then supporting that, whatever that is, uh, given that the, the nutrients in the water so that you can excel. Um, and so what I do personally, um, when I'm organizing my CRC stuff is, you know, I just, I get people moving and then the ones who really live for the work that we do, like they wake up ready to move people and stuff around and they're really just hyped on, on um, getting people the equipment they need and the materials they need to be successful. And then I, I give those folks what they need to be successful so that they can sort of force multiply. So they, you know, if someone's really, really hyped about making sure the folks around them are taken care of, then I take care of that person so that they can take care of more people. And it becomes this hyper it becomes really efficient but not in the boardroom sort of way but in the in the gardening sort of way where um everybody gives what they can give and takes what what they what's needed it's really it's it's from the people to the people uh sort of embodied in my mind and as far as i can conceive it um and it's i just I, it's all about patience and having a long timeline and um and and working and just being finding people's themes and and what's important to them and then you don't have to tell anybody what to do after that you know you don't have to worry about whether somebody's on task or on time um because they wake up this person wakes up rearing to go uh, i wake up every day ready to fundraise ready to 
get the stuff for my comrades to be successful. Like it's, I, 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 it's almost detrimental to my life. That's how focused I am on my task at hand uh, and my mission and my task. Um, and I look for other people that are like that too, that are just nearly pl- problematic in their focus. And, uh, and I get behind them and I enable them not just to do the work, but to also take the time away from the work so that they can come back refocused and more powerful and, 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 and be a bigger benefit to the community. Um, so it's not like I'm out here, you know, growing wheat. No, we're growing perennial plants out here that come back year after year and sustain. We're not, we're not out here harvesting motherfuckers, you know, that we're not, we're not trying to, we're not, Hey, we don't have a farm. We have a garden. You know, it's something that we want to last and to, and to grow and improve over time and to get more robust and to get more integrated and, and contiguous with each other. Um, it's not a sort of boardroom efficiency. It's, it's a, the efficiency of the Am- – it's like an Amazonian efficiency, you know, the way the Amazon, nothing is lost, nothing is wasted. Um, and that's what I really – that's my organizational philosophy is really trying to, to be that river valley and uh, just – constantly giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and, 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 and bringing the best out of uh, the people who show up. I love that. You know, it's like efficiency through biodiversity, right? I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Like the, the most healthy, the most efficient um, ecosystem is the most diverse in the biology that exists within it. I, I really, that's a really powerful metaphor. I, yeah, I love it. I, I, I continue to return to it because it just reaps rewards like this, like with you, you know, mm. you're here right now. Um, it's a really powerful metaphor. Yeah. Um, and then so, so uh, community defender, how does that fit into this metaphor as well? talked about this before like community defense is community development and community defense are largely the same people doing the same jobs um me and Lindsay on a day-to-day basis 99% of the time we basically do the same stuff we're involved in the same work different aspects of the same work but where a community defender is differentiates is their uh the one who dies first, <laughs> I guess is the way to put it. Um, the community defender just takes that is, is, you know, they'll work at the soup kitchen. They'll go work in the community garden. They'll organize um, eviction defense. Uh, but also they go and they spend the time to uh, train in body armor. They take the time to train uh, uh, in, in, in firearms, in close combat uh, skills, things like that in martial arts. Uh, so that they can be able to answer those those sort of physical threats to the community uh, in a way that keeps everybody safe and still um, that's different from the way the pigs do it. That's just inherently different from the vision of the way uh, it's, it's not policing. It's not. Uh, it's a whole different, it's just a whole different concept. Um, and it just goes much deeper and much more holistic than simply going out to the range or like concealed carrying. It's not self-defense. It is, um, 
it is uh, it is a movement that treats the whole body of the of the of the politic. It uh, recognizes that you know we have to fill bellies, we have to splint legs, we have to soothe minds, we have to build skills, uh, but we also have to we have to defend that stuff uh, because ultimately there's no good deed that goes unpunished uh, under imperialism. Right. Uh, there's not one. If you do something yeah. good. Uh, that doesn't make anybody money, then you'll be punished. Um, and so you, at, at every step along the way from day one, you know, uh, we have to have, we have to be developing community, but we also have to be at least thinking about defending community. Um, I've always been a gun guy. I've always been um, a martial arts guy. I was a boxer. Um, I grew up with firearms. Um, I grew up in a culture of, uh, home and self-defense. And I, I recognize the deep um, uh, flaws and um, critical failures of like the individualist, like prepper and um, self-defense, home defense mindset. That shit don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't work. It's obsolete. It, uh, uh, that's, you're, just, uh, you're just setting yourself up to be a target, essentially. Um, and so... Community defense is this, yeah, it's just this holistic, it's a holistic method. Um, And it's, so we have to be, at day one, you should be thinking about the defense of your, of whatever it is you're doing, but you might not necessarily have anything to defend. And we didn't for a long time. We didn't for a long, long time. Um, for many years, it wasn't necessarily necessary for us to focus on community defense because nobody knew what we were doing. Um, and, and we saw that for what it was and, and encouraged that on purpose. We like to be behind the scenes. We like to be quietly in the background. We like to, be, we like to do our work and be left alone. Um, we purposely don't uh, do news interviews. We purposely don't do a lot of media stuff. Uh, because, um, as we say a lot, uh, friends are temporary enemies stick around enemies persevere. Um, and so, um, when you get on the news, uh, you get a upwelling of support for two or three weeks. Uh, but then you get enemies that remember you for the rest of their lives and they just, and they just stick around, um, and cause you, cause you harm for the rest of your effort. And so until you're prepared to defend, uh, your movement in every way, including in the public relations sense, you have to be uh, reticent about appro- approaching those spaces. And because we don't have good, a good public relations team, like we're not prepared to go on the news um, and, 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 and come out the victor, we just don't do it. Right. We, we, we pick right. our fights. Right. Um, and so, uh, uh, but at, at, at some point you, you don't get to choose anymore. Once your good deeds um, get to a certain point, you know what I mean? I say good deeds. Uh, I, I mean it in the least facile sense. I'm just trying to simple it, simple it down because uh, I, I, it doesn't have to be mutual aid. You know, uh, just you can be doing charity and get fucked up for it. So um, uh, whatever good thing you're doing, um, you get to a certain point and someone is going to want to string you up for it. Uh, and then the more the less white you are and the less man you are, uh, the more someone's going to want to string you up for it. And so, you know, um, 
yeah. So it gets to that point. It might be sooner for you. It might be later for you, but there's always going to be a fight. There's always going to be a fight. And so you have to be, you have to be prepared to, uh, to both last through time and through violence. Uh, and, and, uh, when you exactly start to implement your community defense program is, I can't tell you that, you know, I can't tell you what it looks like. That's, you have to grow that with your community through a mandate with your community. Um, there, there's been shootings at our encampments. There's been shootings in our neighborhood. Um, and, uh, including one right outside our home base by this, by this white supremacist guy, it wasn't related to us at all, but it was, a, it was shocking. And, um, it really, really brought it home for us, how important this needs to be and uh, how much we need to prioritize being able to defend ourselves. And, uh, so we started to implement, um, a community defense program. I did on my own initiative, um, slowly, uh, just on my own and sort of on a back burner. And then, um, the community sort of, uh, on its own called for it. And I was already working on it behind the scenes. And so I was ready to sort of present that as the need came up and we're starting to, starting to grow that, uh, as we speak, um, but yeah, we purposely we purposely kept it super stealth and flew below the radar for many years, uh, so that we could prepare carefully uh, when we did finally break the soil, so to speak. Um, when our shoot pushed above the soil, you know, we need to be able to survive real life. Right. Um, and then, then I'm happy to report that that's going well for us. Um, uh, but. That's what that's what community defense is. It's it's this. It's just the, it's the next, the next disciplined, um, the next disciplined move for mutual aid. You know, you go mutual aid, and then it's sort of the 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 sterner cousin of mutual aid. Community defense is. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, uh, it's like it's like when an animal grows a shell. You know, you you advance to a certain point, and then. You know, the animal, it, it gets preyed upon. It gets these, it gets, uh, uh, these, 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 uh, pressures from outside. And then you have to like grow a shell or grow some teeth or some claws or venom or something. It's, you know, I look to, I look to the natural world for my inspiration and a lot of my ideas and whatnot. Um, and, yeah. so like and, push and back gardening one, right. It's, it's a rose growing thorns or exactly. Yeah. 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 You're just, they're trying to protect themselves from deer that are eating them or animals that are eating them. And by growing thorns, you know, you, you up that, you up that cost that, that, um, that natural, um, arms race that, that natural world goes through, uh, community defense is an outcropping of that arms race of that social arms race. Right. Mm. Um, so we went from uh, liberalism that did some state programs and kind of kept people alive or whatever. Then we went to neoliberalism and lost our state programs. Um, and now we developed mutual aid. You know what I mean? That became to the forefront to deal with these, this, this atomized, isolated community that no longer has state programs. And then mutual aid came under attack, right? And we saw that with the Black Panther Party and their survival programs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... And, you know, and they recognized that and they armed up and, and, uh, and there's just this natural progression through time, uh, and events, uh, this natural sort of arms race, essentially. Um, and, you know, and then we look back and we look at the things that the Black Panther Party said, we look back at the things that, um, these different, uh, groups that armed up and also did these community programs. And you look at the critiques they had of their own work 
and you try to you try to you try to uh, take those critiques and build them into your own work and try not to make those mistakes again. Um, and it's just this constant evolution and trying to the, you know the state's trying to get ahead of us and we're trying to get ahead of they're trying to do counterinsurgency and we're trying to build an insurgency. Oh, they stay the fuck away from me. <laughs> but uh, uh, you they know do. they even told encampment. Oh yeah, we can go in. We shit the the <laughs> level of police interference in our programs. Yeah, I could go into a whole hour long talk about that, but. Uh, oh, you know, they want to do their counterinsurgency and we want to build our insurgency. And so um, it's just like the boss and the worker. There's just a natural uh, uh, arms race that goes on there between the ones who want to unionize and the ones, who, you know, where they want to make more money and the boss wants to pay you less. Uh, the, the state wants us to sit down and shut up and we want people to stand up and speak out. And so, you know, we have to we have to protect that or we don't get it, period. Yeah, damn straight. Yep. yep. And it's it's not pretty. It's ugly. It's it's not um it's not something to look forward to. Um again, I'm a Taoist and we believe that warfare is often necessary, but it's something that should be undertaken with the solemn solemnity of a funeral. You know, if you have to if you have to do it, it's not something that you look forward to. It's it is a fact of life that there is conflict. Conflict can become violent, uh, and uh, violent conflict is an everyday presence in in our modern world, um, as it seems to have been all the way back 2,400 years ago when they wrote the Tao. So um, I don't know how much has changed, but uh, the the violence has certainly gotten um, more efficacious since then. Um, and so it's gotten even more important that we are able to protect ourselves. Um, and, 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 and it's not something to glorify. Um, but at the same time, we also do have to promote it. Like it needs to, it needs to be encouraged and built. Um, and so there does need to be some level of sharing about it and whatnot. But at the same time, um, you know, we can't be encouraging people to do adventurism, to just, um, to go out and, 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 and arm up without a mandate and, and, and try to protect a community who doesn't recognize them and doesn't know them. You know, there has to be, you have to build that mandate. You have to go out and serve the people and build that level, that, that mutual trust and dignity that makes them want you to be there and trust you to be there. Um, and, and you don't, you don't build that trust, um, with guns, you don't, you don't build that trust through training that, that trust has to be built through community development. So this is how the two wings sort of build off each other. Like I tell people all the time, if people come with guns and bullets, um, and to defend you, but they don't bring any bread or fruit or fucking seeds or, uh, infrastructure, then that's your next jailer. That's not, that's not right. your defender. You know, that's your next, that's your next, that's your next chief of police. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't, you don't want that guy and you don't, you don't, um, you can't bust out the guns before you busted out the bread and the butter knife. Right. You can't that. do it. You can't do it. That. You can't do it. Um, yeah. people, people need to trust you to feed them before they will trust you to defend them. And so that's, and, and so you have to do, you really do have to do both, um, at the same time. And it's, it's hard. I'm not going to lie to you. It's super, 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 super hard. Uh, um, I work a lot. It's 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 incredibly it's difficult mm -hmm. on our on our people that go out in the neighborhood and do the community development. 
and it's difficult on us mm -hmm. behind the scenes who do the community defense stuff. Um, it's definitely not easy. And how you how you prioritize like still a lot of shit we need to figure out. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, we're still very inchoate. There's still so much that we have to learn to figure out. But how you prioritize the balance between the community development, and the community defense. Um, that's really the nitty gritty. Like, is it 40, 60? Is it 50, 50? Is it 70, 30? Is it 80, 20? You know, I don't, I don't know what it is for you. Um, but that's been a challenge for us is trying to like, the fundamental problem is that when there's no present threat, spending money on community defense and spending time, it seems kind of silly to some folks and it seems kind of hard to justify um, uh, going out and doing trainings and going out and driving far and spending uh, uh, money on guns and ammunition and body armor and stuff like that when nobody's actively shooting at us. But the thing is, is you can't be developing these things um, when the threat emerges. It can't, you can't, it can't be at, at the stroke of midnight uh, when the attack uh, of the day the attack starts that we start to think about community defense. Right. It's yeah. like the, the white supremacist militias that are scattered, you know, all over Washington and Idaho and, and down here too, right? That, that, that exists, right? Already. Yeah. yeah. They're ready to kick our doors in, right? Right. Um, right. And so we can't wait until like the, the text alert that someone says, oh, the fucking Proud Boys are kicking in our doors. Um, uh, uh, we have to we have to prepare for that now. And it, and it, and it, and it's hard to justify. It is, it's, it's, it's hard to justify. It's hard to, uh, it can be hard to, uh, budget, uh, because it, every dollar that we spend on body armor and every dollar that we spend on, on ammunition, every dollar that we spend on AR 15 is, uh, money that isn't spent feeding somebody. And you know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, Priorities, right? Yeah. And, 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 and how you prioritize that is really the hard part. Like it, it how you, and when, yeah. Uh, and I, like I said, I can't tell anybody what's appropriate for you. Um, uh, I can't tell you what your, I don't know what your conditions are, where you're at or what you're doing. So that has to be stuff that you develop through the labor of working with your community and, and getting into dialogue with your community and, um, and eventually, you know, you do the work and, and you're out there and, and, and you're in the community and you, the community together with you suffers through an event and they say, you know, man, I really wish that we had the ability to defend ourselves. And that's your moment. You know what I mean? That's your moment. That's your mandate. Mm -hmm. Um, that's your mandate. And that's what happened to us. Essentially. That's what happened to, to the C CRC is like all this, this like sudden spike of violence happened and the community was like, uh, you know, we need we need to start learning how to defend ourselves. And, uh, and so we said, all right, let's kick it off. But we weren't going to do it before the community asked us to, right. You know, we're not, we're not gonna, we weren't gonna, um, spend a single dollar on this stuff until the community saw it as a necessity. Right. Um, you're not building a vanguardist militant association. Right. 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 No, we're, we're doing something practical here. You know, yeah. we're, uh, 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 there was violence. We're responding to that violence in an organized, disciplined fashion. We're not, uh, we're not simply, we're not building, you know, you know, we're not, we're not building, 
uh, we're not doing this just for just for fun and games or just because theory says that we need it. It's, you know, our community was shot at um, and uh, eventually people get sick of being shot at and uh, uh, and they want to they want to start surviving instead, you know, you know they want to start thriving instead of simply surviving or whatever. But um, yeah, that's the fundamentals of it. It's um, it's something that's still very much in development for us. Um, it's, uh, there's still a lot, a lot of work to do, but, uh, we're getting there. Um, but it, you know, and like I said, community defense, isn't just, isn't simply guns and ammunition. It isn't simply training at the, at the, at the range. It's not simply doing drills or whatever. It's also, uh, building the infrastructure to be able to change outcomes and prevent, prevent harm. Like that's really what we want to do is prevent harm. That's our goal. Right. And right. so it's not just building up this capacity for violence, but also building up this capacity to um, prevent harm. And so, like, one of the things that we are working on between the CRC, the uh, from the Heart Pacific Northwest, um, Red Cedar Community Network and all these other uh, community groups around us that we organize with and in coalition with, uh, we're working on building this overarching North Seattle um, system to move houseless people from a sweep before they get swept so they can keep their stuff so that they can avoid the police violence so that they can avoid, um, getting their privacy, um, uh, taken away from them by, uh, by nosy neighbors and, um, and journalists and whatnot who come to the camps ahead of these things and take pictures and, uh, uh, they don't treat, these folks as tents as legitimate homes. So they just open up their tents and take pictures of the insides and shit like that. Get them away from all of that garbage um, and get them to a, a location, have the logistics set up so that they can eat, drink, uh, 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 take care of their basic needs and survive uh, without having to go through all the trauma of losing their entire, uh, all their belongings, starting from scratch and the, um, and the harm that doesn't just bring them, but it brings, it harms the whole community, including right. their very local community, because they, they backbite each other when this, these, when 30 people are put into crisis all at once together, you know, and there's limited supplies, people are going to make antisocial behaviors. People are going to make choices that are not good for themselves and others. Right. Um, and so we have to be, community defense doesn't just include punishing men, right? It includes, um, preventing the material conditions that would sort of proscribe antisocial behavior. So if we can, if we can make sure that people keep their stuff after, during, uh, before, during, and after a sweep, um, we can change these outcomes. If we can make sure that they're better off after a sweep than they were before the sweep, then that's now we're changing outcomes. Now we're giving, now we're building pathways for people to make better choices. Um, you know, you can't change people. You can only change their conditions. Right. So, uh, that's what, that's what community defense is really about is, is we move beyond mutual aid to this sort of neighborhood level where we're actively intervening in conditions and building these disciplined systems. Now, not, we're not, now we're not depending on simply the goodwill of our neighbors, but we're actively organizing these disciplined regimented systems that can go 
week to week, day to day, and address these needs and change these outcomes uh, in an active sense. We're not in an office waiting for motherfuckers to come and apply for benefits. We're going right. out in the community and we're saying, hey, you, dude, you gal, you person, uh, comrade, uh, neighbor, do what do you need? What do you need? And we just mic that right back to someone like me and we get it, we get it moving and, and get it arranged. Um, uh, that's, that's, that's community defense. That's more community defense than the gun stuff. Right, right, right. No, a thousand percent. So like, man, th- this is, this is something that I, like, I hope going forward, uh, uh, and maybe this is an offline convo, but like that, that we can have some sort of dialogue because this is exactly what we've been running into here in Orange County and, and thing we've experimented now with a couple different tactics to do exactly the same thing, right? How do you like, okay, we're not going to be able to like stop the pigs from coming in and doing what they're going to do, but like we can remove everybody and their stuff from the situation. That's right. Make, make there. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we had success to. with it. It's just, it's building out that sustainably, right? So that can be a reliable system. And, and building the mandate with people who trust you enough to like work with you over a multi-day process. Right. You know, folks out here in the streets, they're used to government NGOs and nonprofits. They'll come out and they'll give you a sandwich, talk to you about God or whatever, try to get you into a service, try to coerce you into leaving the neighborhood or whatever. And then maybe they promise something, maybe they don't, maybe they fill it, maybe they don't. Uh, maybe they say there's services and you're like, okay. And so you move all your stuff and then you find out there's no rooms at the hotel that they promised you. And now you're, now you're 55 blocks away from where you're used to, where you're all your friends and all your, uh, needs are met and you're just ass out of luck. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they're used to that. That's what they're used to. They're used to the fire and forget motherfuckers who go down there and, uh, fill their 40 hours a week, clock out and go home and kiss their kids on the head and whatever. I don't know. I don't know what they do with their time, but, uh, <laughs> I don't uh, know either. I can't figure I don't it out. Know. I don't know. Frankly, I don't know because we don't see the benefit out in the streets. We're out there every day and we don't see the benefit of what they do. Um, and nobody seems to. And so I don't know what the fuck they do for those 40 hours out there, but they certainly clock in and get paid. And, yeah, right. uh, and, uh, so they're used to these, uh, there's used to these no account motherfuckers that go out there and, and clock in and clock out. So, um, you have to, you're going to have to work past that. You know, you, you're going to have to work past the social debt that we owe these folks that they keep a tab of that we're not even aware of. Right. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. have negative trust for you a lot of the times out the bat. And so you have to, you're going to have to, you're going to have to work through that and build those mandates into something positive through time. And that could take years, right? That could literally take years. Um, And so you have to really, you know, be patient with those folks, but be patient with you as well. You know, you have to give yourself long timelines um, and really, really, really generous timelines because uh, nothing, no good plan uh, survives real life. (laughs) No, there's not, you can have the best plan in the world, but when it meets real life, it's going to get graded up like cheese. Um, <laughs> it's going to. Yeah, every time. Every time. Uh, but plans of mice and men and whatnot. So, um, you know, we, we have these good ideas. And then we get out in the field. Like we've been trying to start a food, pro- like a grocery delivery program for months now. 
And it just seems like we get on the cusp of it and we're about to get ready to get it done. And then we lose an organizer or um, the recipient uh, moves suddenly uh, or whatever, or they go to jail or they uh, get hospitalized um, or it's just, it's something. And we just, it, and it's so this for fucking six, nine months now, we've been trying to get this grocery delivery program. And the closest we've gotten is um, a, um, gift card program, like a $50 grocery gift card program. Cause it's just, it has been just the most harrowing nightmare. And it seems like the easiest thing in the world to get organized, but it's, it, we've just, it's just, we've suffered through it and um, it, it just hasn't panned out for us. And there's a lot of things that we've been really successful on, but that particular project has been a thorn in my side for most of a year. And uh, it just, it's cursed. And so, <laughs> and so um, you just have to be generous with yourself um, and compassionate with yourselves. Uh, and you, at some point you have to come to the realization that not, you didn't start the fire. You know, we, you know, we were, we popped out the, we popped out our moms and, uh, the house was already on fire. And, uh, uh, that's not our responsibility to put the entire fire out. Um, and you just have to do the best you can one day at a time. And, uh, and it, ha it has to be, the has to suffice. That just has to be enough. Uh, whatever you did today just has to be enough um, because you're never going to do enough. Um, and so uh, just, you know, be generous with yourself, be compassionate with yourself and, 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 and don't let yourselves get into this mindset where, you know, you have to do everything for everyone and whatnot. It, that's, it's, uh, that's not the case. You just... You have to do what you can do, but also every day, just try to add a little tiny, just a tiny bit of sand to the pile um, and, and, and grow the effort. Uh, but don't beat yourself up too badly because uh, shit takes forever out here um, in real life. Um, you can only really move as fast as your, as your slowest member in the column. And so, and sometimes uh, when, you know, when we're working with working class people, life sucks for us. You know, life sucks frequently. Um, and you, uh, you just have to get okay with life, uh, with being in the suck alongside your friends and comrades. Um, and sometimes programs don't go, sometimes shit gets real fouled up. Um, and it just gets messy and you just have to take a deep breath and march through it. Um, cause it's, it, there's just no, the only way out is through this shit. <laughs> yeah. Straight yeah, up. Only, yeah. And so... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. That was, uh, I think, I think, you know, I, if, if, if you both are comfortable, I mean, that, that was some, some powerful last words to end on Lindsay. Would you like to, to add anything? Lindsay is long gone. Oh, Lindsay left. Okay, great. So it's Lindsay, just, you know, <laughs> Lindsay was out working on the garden, walking around and now she disappeared. Uh, uh yeah, she, she'll be all right. She's, uh, she gets busy. <laughs> I, I believe it. Lindsay sounds she's very busy. busy. Uh, um, she's, here, she's around here somewhere, but she's heard this whole spiel 70 times before. So I'm sure I'm not saying anything that she disagrees with. Okay. All right. Um, well, so then maybe like any shout outs, any plugs, uh, anything like that, like uh, uh, Twitter ads, anything that we could throw in the show notes. You want to yep. shout it out to the audience? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find um, From the Heart Pacific Northwest on Twitter, From the Heart PNW. Um, you can find us on Instagram. If you want to 
If you want to talk to the chairwoman directly, Instagram's the place to go from the heart PNW on Instagram. Um, and, and she's on there giving daily updates, um, constantly appraising people of our efforts and really, you know, um, giving her point of view. And then, uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, I am Iron Troll. Uh, uh, if you are just dying to see a bunch of cat retweets and uh, an angry beardo um, foment revolution constantly and, and never shut up about guns, then come follow me on, <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> um, uh, it's just cats, guns, and uh, mutual aid. Basically, it's, it's all I'm all I'm doing on there. A little shit posting. Like it's uh, I don't know why I have almost ten thousand followers, but if, if you're if that sounds good to you, come check me out. I guess. Um, also, um, check out Free Food UD, uh, Free Food University District. Uh, check out uh, Red Cedar Community Network. Check out Single Spark Seattle. Uh, well, why don't forget some of the Coho Collective on Twitter. Uh, check out, oh, I know I'm forgetting somebody. Who am I forgetting? Uh, if I'm forgetting you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, comrade. I've, I've uh, you, your organization has slipped my mind, but there's a huge coalition of folks up here and everybody's doing great work. Uh, I, I, I could, I could probably sit here and shout out people all afternoon. But um, that's a short list. Uh, yeah, come and come and say hi to us. Uh, I'm I, I'm really accessible on Twitter. If you have questions about mutual aid or community defense, um, you just hit my DMs. They're open. Um, and same with uh, the chairwoman. You just talk to, if you, if the chairwoman is more your speed, uh, and you want to talk about uh, community development. Go, please. Uh, she would love to hear from you on Instagram. And uh, if you. Uh, have questions about firearms or whatever, you know, come talk to me on Twitter. There's uh, there's lots of places you can reach us. Um, and that's, I think that's about it for us. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. Uh, this was a real pleasure. Um, I learned quite a lot. Um, and, uh, and, and seeing the similarity um, in, in these struggles is, uh, is always incredibly powerful. Um, thank you again. Uh, and I think I think we're good. I'm gonna stop recording. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. I know some of y'all here today cause y'all think jail is cool. But see, y'all wouldn't know nothing about that. I ain't cool about jail, nigga. I've been here 10 years and I ain't never getting out. Never. I ain't do much, just kill somebody. It ain't like the nigga ain't have it coming. He sure did. See, y'all think it's just about us in here. But this is about an oppressive system designed to keep niggas down and Y'all wouldn't know nothing about that. What about you, little nigga? You know about that? Yes. Oh, you know about that? <laughs>
Tell me what you know about that. Tell me what you think about that. The prison industrial complex is a system situated at the intersection of government and private interests. It uses prisons as a solution to social, political, and economic problems. It includes human rights violations, the death penalty, slave labor, policing, courts, the media, political prisoners, and the elimination of dissent. Nigga, did you just say what I was trying to say, but smarter? 